Good morning, saints. It is great to be here, and I'm going to warn you right now, we are coming off of a high point of singing and praising unto the Lord, and we are going to be sobered very quickly by the text that has been assigned to me today. It is from 2 Kings chapter 17. It is the end of the northern kingdom of Israel. Exile has come due to their idolatry. The judgment of the Lord is at hand. And when we approach texts like this, often we, we come to them and as good Christians, we won't admit it, but deep down inside, we'll think, how could Israel do that? <laughs> I'm sure glad I'm not like them, those people. Let us be quick to hear and heed to the word of the Lord and let the Holy Spirit move in our midst that we would listen to the inspired, infallible, this perfect word of God that is given for the nourishing of our souls to draw us near to God Almighty. Before we jump into 2 Kings chapter 17, I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were baptized into Moses, in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that flowed from them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumbling as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands Take heed, lest he fall. This reminder from the Apostle Paul gives us a sneak peek into what the writer of 2 Kings wants us to come in contact with. We want to be instructed by the Word of God. We want to take heed and humble ourselves to it. And this morning, like I said, it is a sobering text it is a hard-hitting text. We will see that Israel forgot the grace of the Lord. Over and over again, there was forgotten grace. Also, how they turned to serve false gods. And they over and over again served these false gods in futility. And because of this, the fury of God comes, and Israel is judged. And this fury comes with great power. But deep down in this, we're going to labor through the text and see this powerful fury. But also, there is future glory to be had. There is hope in the text. But as a casual reading, you might pass over it. So Lord willing, we'll be able to, to pull it out and enjoy and hope in and be transformed by the future glory that is to be had for us. At this point in Israel's history, the kingdom has been divided for a couple hundred years due to sin. The northern kingdom has been attacked and oppressed and been warring. Idol worship is set up everywhere. The nations around them are oppressing them. Assyria has already attacked and dragged many off. And there's a few left in the land. But because of their sin, enough is enough. God has sent Assyria to judge the northern tribe. Let us be quick to remember, church, we are 
much more like Israel than we care to admit. We are so quick to forget the great graces of God. We have this spiritual amnesia that we're drawn back to. And we turn to these little trinkets, these little idols, these false gods so quickly. Now, we do do it more dignified than Israel did back in the day. We're more significant in our own minds of creating our own idols. We don't even call them idols anymore. We call them preferences. But they are idols. And if we continually forget the grace of God and turn to these idols, the fury of the Lord will come upon us. But for those of us who hope in King Jesus and his atoning work on the cross of Calvary, future glory is to be had. But let us see what the text says before we get to where I know everybody wants to get to. I want to get there too. God's word says in 2 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 6, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Halah on the Habor, Habor, the river Gojan, and in the cities of the Medes. And this, occur, this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and feared other gods, and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, and in the customs of the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right, they built for themselves high places in all the towers, from watchtower to fortified cities. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places as the nations did whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying to them, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, my statutes, in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers, that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen, but were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenants that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false. They followed the nations that were around them, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves, and they made ashram and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. When he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had spoken by all of his servants, the prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria unto this day. Lord, would you bless the reading of your word? Would you feed the saints upon your word? Would you nourish them? Would you help them to see the truth of the scriptures, to behold you and your majesty, to see the seriousness and the weight of forgetting your great grace? Would we all take heed to the warnings of the example that is given to us here of what happens when we turn and serve false idols. 
God, would we have a holy fear of the fury of the Lord? Would those who have not yet been born again, those who are not Christians who are gathered in this place, would they hear from you? Would they be stricken by fear of the fury of the Lord and not run away from this place, but run to you, the only one who can remove that fury and give them your great grace and welcome them into your family? God, would we have a hope of the future glory that is to come? Would we desire it? Would we have a great anticipation for it? Would we prepare ourselves for it? God, would you guide us through this passage? Would you guard us from thinking about what is to take place next? Would you uh, remove all impatience and hurriedness of all who are gathered here today and those who are listening online? We pray that you would have your way with us that we would have humble hearts, true confessions that would say, have your way with us, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my life as it ought to be for your glory and my good. Would this be a true confession of the saints? In Jesus' name, amen. So Israel, the northern kingdom, these 10 tribes, are a people who quickly had forgotten the great grace of the Lord over and over again. And the, the writer of 2 Kings reminds us of some of those great graces that Israel kept forgetting about. As we go through this text, we could see in verse 7 that the Lord God Almighty had gone down to Israel to bring his people out from the bondage of slavery. And he saw them through. He delivered them from the greatest world power of the time. The mightiest of mighty were no match to the Lord when he said, I will take my people. I will deliver my people. And he brought them up out of Egypt. But not only were they delivered from the hand of Pharaoh and his mighty army, Pharaoh and his mighty army were done away with at the Red Sea. Israel knew this, but they had forgotten how great the deliverer was. They had forgotten how awesome and marvelous was his power to come and take this group of people who had no way to defend themselves and protect them and provide for them. And he brought them through the wilderness. He protected them. He provided for them. When they had no food, there was manna on the ground. Kevin DeYoung, I love his description of manna. He said it was like flakes of Krispy Kreme across the desert floor. Every morning they could go out and eat their fill. If you aren't a Krispy Kreme fan, use your imagination. And it was awesome. It was great. The provision of the Lord, the sustenance of the belly by God for the people of Israel was so good. They forgot that. We also see in the text, in verse 8, we see that they walked in the customs of the, the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people. The Lord cleared the way. There was a land of Canaan. Filled with people, filled with idol worshipers, inhabiting the land. Israel was a weak, wandering people. And the Lord again displayed his might and drove those people out. They had forgotten also what Joshua in chapter 24, verse 13 tells us, how as the Lord drove this people out, what was left behind was homes and vineyards ready for the taking. The Lord prepared the land for them that they could walk in and just take hold of it. Move right in. This land was a fully furnished land for the people of God. Everything they needed was there, provided by the hand of God. And they had forgotten this. 
they also forgot how verse 11 tells us how that they made offerings on all the high places of, of the nations whom the Lord carried away before them. Well, what was carried away? All of the idol worshipers, all of the fake idols. It was done away with. The Lord cleared the slate. He says, here, I've removed every obstacle. I've made straight the path for you to worship me. And they forgot how the Lord had judged the people of the land as evil and their false gods and practices and gave Israel this clear path. They, they forgot how to have this clear path, the Lord judged the people of Canaan. He defeated the people of Canaan for their evil practices. We also see how in verse 12, it says, and they served idols of which the Lord said, you shall not do this. And over and over again in this passage, it talks about how Israel had forgotten the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. God didn't leave it up to Israel to figure out how they're to live and how they are to worship the Lord. This is how you worship me. This is how you serve me. This is how you draw near to me. This is what will satisfy your soul. He gave them everything they needed to have the abundant life. It was all there. They didn't have to figure it out, like groping around the dark, like what's going to make God happy? What's going to make him angry? How can we make him happy after we've made him angry? Like all of the other gods that had been driven out. Like all the other nations who were worshiping false gods, trying to figure out what would make God happy. What would satisfy the God's angers? God told them how. And time and time again, when Israel would rebel against the Lord, he sent the prophets. He sent mighty prophets. He sent Elijah and Elisha, Amos and Hosea. There's Micah who preached from the southern kingdom. Isaiah from the southern kingdom preaching against the judgment that was to come because of Israel's sin and rebellion against God. These are great graces that the Lord bestowed upon Israel. You're getting off course here. You're not following me here. I'm going to send you warning. Here, this is what I want from you, Israel. Time and time again, God was so patient with them. But Israel had that spiritual amnesia and just forgot these great graces of God. And if we're honest, as we're sitting here today, we too forget these great graces of God. We forget how the Lord has delivered us from the bondage of sin. We forget the great grace of God of the church and what it means to gather with the saints and how sweet that is. Now, we're a little bit more dignified than ancient Israel. We're not going to stone our messengers from the Lord. So when Pastor Paul comes back, when he says something we don't like, we're not going to throw rocks at him. We're not going to throw him in a cistern and leave him down there. But, oh, do we get mad when we hear things we don't like that don't align with what I think God is and how I think God wants me to live. We forget all the great graces of Scripture, that every single word in the Bible is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that we might be adequately equipped for every good work. There's things in here we just don't like. And we sure don't like it when we're living in sin, forgetting about the great grace of God, and the Lord sends a messenger, a brother or sister from the church, and says, hey, beloved, you're sinning here. Come back to the Lord. We get mad at that, and we forget these great graces. We, we feel judged that somebody would come and say, you're sinning. Come back to the Lord. 
here's how the Lord would have you live. Rather than seeing that as a great grace that the Lord would love me so much to send a messenger to draw me back to God. That person's not judged. Judge not, ye see, be judged. We love to take that one out of context. And we get mad at these saints who are loving us. Just like Israel, they forgot the great graces of the Lord. And because they forgot the great graces of the Lord, they turned to serve false gods. These false gods, now they got funny names, Asherah, Anat, Baal. Sounds kind of funny. Like, I don't serve those gods. I don't serve those little trinkets and stuff. Asherah is the god of sex. Anat's the god of war. Baal's the god of what? Which is basically sex, money, and power. Now those are our gods. We love the gods of sex, money, and power. Comfort and preferences. Self-exaltation. We love these things. And just a, a warning for what it means to serve living idols. For Israel and for us today, when we serve anything other than the Lord, when we offer ourselves up, when we put anything ahead of the Lord, we're what's called worship. We're, we're worshiping something other than the Lord. And when we do this, in 1 Corinthians 10, no, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. It's not just a preference. When we live our lives in idol worship, when we give our lives over to idol worship, we are giving ourselves over to demons, to the agents of Satan, to the prince of the power of the air. It's not a light thing to offer ourselves to false gods. False gods are not just things shaped and fashioned by the hands of man, by the imagination of man, but they are works of Satan himself that we give ourselves over to. It's demon worship. That's what the word says. If you want to wrestle through the text and exegete it some more, dig into it, say, I think you're interpreting that wrong. Let's go. 618-980-7764. Give me a call. We'll dig in. This is the seriousness of sin. And Israel progressed in this sin. And, and, and the author here shows how Israel progressed in their sin. And we think often, like Israel thought, that I can just sin a little bit and then stop and then go back and start my life again. But sin progresses. This, these false gods, they entice us, and we want more and more of them. And Israel went headlong after the ways of these defeated foes. These, these people and these idols that have been driven out, that have been shown that they have no power to stop God Almighty, Israel says, I'm going to go get the losers. You have the almighty deliverer who just brought you in, Israel, and you're going to go after the losers? It's insanity. It's spiritual insanity, yet we do it the same. And this doesn't take place in a vacuum, like, okay, I can just, I can sin by myself. I can hide it. If I want to be engulfed in pornography and just enjoy it. That's just me and my computer. It's not harming anybody else. But what about that brother and sister who are performing those devious acts, who are image bearers of God, whom you are giving more of a platform to defile themselves? So, well, I don't watch pornography. That's not me. I'm, I'm better than that. Sure. What about the other ways in which you set yourself preferences up above God's preferences? What about the ways in which you treat other people as if they're lesser than you? All the ways in which we disregard the Lord and 
pick that thought up in a minute, but they, they progress in their sin, and they thought they could hide it, which is, which is just the insanity of sin. If, if, we, if we look here, we know that judgment has come because verse 7 tells us why this judgment comes. They sinned against the Lord their God. Sin is the reason for judgment. They chose the losing side of a defeated foe. And verse 9 tells us, And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. It's okay, I'm, I'm, I'm hiding it. We think we can hide our sin too. Well, nobody knows how angry I was when I was driving down the road. And I just wanted to punch that guy in his face because he cut me off. Nobody knows that I'm cheating on my taxes. Nobody knows that I think tithing is a farce and giving to the Lord is junk because nobody checks. So on and so forth. You can go on of the things that we think we can hide, things that the Lord has explicitly told us to do and people he's told us to be. We think, just like Israel, thinks they could hide it. But let me, let me just see if the Holy Spirit might shine a spotlight on that fallacy. Because that's what the author wants you to see here. They secretly did these things. This is what they secretly did. They built for themselves high places in all the towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings in all the high places. Nothing is hidden from the sight of the Lord. And this is the insanity of turning to false idols and the slippery slope of sin and the progression that takes place where we think we can hide it away for a while. But to God, it's everywhere. It's infected everything. It's affecting everyone around us. This sin was everywhere. The sin had taken over everything that they were. And the effects of following these false gods had taken over their whole lives. There is not one area of life that is not touched by sin. We think that sin, if I hide it over here in the dark, it's just one, one thing, one way. I'll keep these thoughts to myself. I'll only act this way when nobody can see me. Israel was actively pursuing a rebellion against the Lord, against God and against man. So much so that we come to that point in the passage, verse 17, where, and they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings. They sacrificed their children. They were giving themselves sexually to the idols. They were making other offerings, giving and taking, bartering with the gods, trying to manipulate the gods of the land that were already defeated. If I do this, you do that. If I offer you this, I get that. And isn't this our own heart? We want to manipulate God. Now, we don't use the word manipulation because we're dignified. But we want little Jesus genie in a bottle. Hey, Jesus, I'll read my Bible. I'll pray. I'll go to church. I'll tithe. I'll be nice to my wife if you'll. We, just like the people of Israel, want to manipulate God. We want to take the reins of control. We want to have it our way, just like Israel. And of course, we're going to say, yeah, but I would never sacrifice my child. I would never do that. Really? America, as a country, is at the forefront of sacrificing our children. Parents are living vicariously through their children in sports, academics, arts. Say, so, not me. I don't do any of that. 
Matter of fact, I think sports are dumb, art's lame, and uh, yeah, I like being stupid, so school's out. But, check that off, great, good for you. What about your own comforts and your own preferences? When you seek yourself, the end of a long, hard day at work, instead of coming home and praising the Lord with your family and ministering the word to them, we'll just turn on the game. It's easier. You know what? Sunday is really not the Sabbath. So I can be on my traveling sports teams and go everywhere, wherever I want, whenever I want. I mean, community group? Like, community group's really not that important. I don't really need to get together with the saints and one another, each other, and all that stuff. I can read my Bible by myself. I don't need my brothers and sisters to do that. I think we are sacrificing our children. We are sacrificing them by the examples we live, by, by seeking our own comforts, by seeking our own preferences, by not giving them what the Lord has commanded us to give them, by not laying down our lives for our families, by not seeking to, to gather regularly with the saints. Now, just so you know, I will define regularly because Barna survey group has defined it and redefined it and they keep redefining and changing what regular worship is, what it means to regularly gather with the bride of Christ. I prefer the scripture, my Bible, more than Barna. And the scriptures teach us what it means to gather regularly is when the saints are gathering regularly, we gather. What is the natural rhythm of the church? That's our natural rhythm. It's the tuner of our life. So when we gather every Sunday, well, we should gather every Sunday. When our community groups gather once a week as a group, we should gather to one another, each other, to seek, to lift each other up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to stir each other up about love and good works, to set this example for our children, to show our children that God is more valuable than my personal preferences and comforts. He's more valuable than going to win a trophy. He's more valuable than X, Y, Z. You gotta put it in there, we're all different. We all have different sin habits. But we are sacrificing our children, just like Israel did. They're here sacrificing them physically. We're sacrificing them spiritually. They did a temporal sacrifice. We're doing eternal sacrifices. It's a, it's a danger that we must take heed to because if we continue to forget the great graces of the Lord and we continue to serve these false gods, the fury of the Lord will come upon us just like the fury of the Lord came upon the northern tribe of Israel. And it came. And it's already come over and over again. They've had warning after warning. At this point in Israel's history, the majority of the population had been dragged off with hooks to far off distant lands. And now they are besieged and they will be overtaken. And they will be handed over to the nations to go to these far off places and be able to worship the false gods the way they want to in the land of Canaan. And this fury of the Lord, it, it sounds bad, this awesome, beautiful land that's been prepared for us. Now we're being cast out, and Israel's being judged by a wicked nation. And it's horrible, and that's lame, and just, what a bummer. But the worst part about this is that they're cast out of the sight of the Lord. The Lord will have no sin in his presence. Therefore the Lord was, verse 18, was angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. Verse 20, 
He had cast them out of his sight. Verse 23, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. What made Israel special was the presence of God. Who cares? Most of us in this place have a huge house compared to the majority of the world, have huge bank accounts, have freezers and cupboards full of food, so much so we have to throw food out. We have to clear it out once a year because it rots. We have all these physical blessings. Israel had all these physical blessings. But what really made them special was the presence of God. And now the Lord says, I cannot have you in my presence because the Lord is light and there is no darkness in him. He is holy. There is not one bit of evil or sin in him. He's perfect in all of his being. And he said, enough is enough. This will happen again. This will happen once and for all. As Israel was banished from the presence of the Lord, those of us who play church, who play Christian, who like to do dress up, put on a good show, have false confessions of faith, really don't love Jesus, but we we do because we're kind of in the South, and the South is like, we're supposed to be Christians here because we're an American. All who are playing church, who are playing dress up, one day, if you continue to lie about your faith and continue to reject the Lord and you continue to serve false gods, the Lord will come back. And when he comes back, he's going to judge the living and the dead. And his fury, Assyria had a mighty fury for the nation of Israel. But it ended. The Lord's fury is forever for those who reject him. Those who continue to play church, those who are lying about being Christians, and remain there. The fury of the Lord will come upon you and it will consume you forever, for all of eternity. That means no end. And it's not like you're going to get used to it either. It's not like when we work out and say, "Ah, I got that, I'm getting stronger, let me put some more weight on there. No, it gets worse and worse. The fury and wrath of just God will come upon you and it will never cease. It will never kind of flatline. It will never become normal. We won't get used to it. We won't be like, okay, I've got a little bit of relief here. It's horrifying. The fury of the Lord will come. Why will it come? Because those who have rejected the Lord, they sin against him time and time again. And they don't cling to the great grace of God. This fury cannot be stopped either. Just as the king of Pharaoh, the greatest man in the greatest army of the day, could not stop God from bringing his people out from Israel. Just like the people of Canaan could not stop Israel from coming in and taking possession. None of us in and of ourselves, can stop the fury of the Lord. Which brings us to the final point, the uplifting point, but don't forget the sobering point, that the fury is coming. And in part, the fury has come, which brings us to a good point. Like I told you before, I think that in a casual reading of this text, you may pass over this future glory that is here. But remember, time and time again, Israel was sent 
the prophets, the messengers of the Lord. They were reminded of the commandments. But in the message of the prophets, there are some, some glorious truths to be had. There's hope to be found beyond judgment. In Hosea chapter 9, beginning in verse 11, let's see the diamond in the rough that's buried down in this judgment. There's a reminder. It's, it's deep down in there. These prophets came and they had a message and they heralded these messages. Israel knew these. They rejected them. But God is greater than man's rejection. He is kinder to us than we deserve him to be. Amos chapter 9, beginning in verse 11, it says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as the days of old that they may possess the remnants of Edom. And all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who do this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes will sow its seeds. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted. Out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Amos the prophet came to Israel preaching. They did not heed to it, but there was hope in the future because of the great grace of God. Or Hosea. Hosea is amazing. We, we see in verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 4, I will heal their apostasy. Apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. Or we see what it closes to. Let us take heed, church. Verse 9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble. Or what about our, our New Testament fans in here? John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus came and dwelt among us. Why did he come and dwell among us? He came to dwell among us, to take upon flesh, to be in human form, that he could die for us. That he could be stretched out on the cross of Calvary and bear the wrath of God. The fury of God for all of us who believe upon Christ what we deserve for all of eternity in a moment in time, Christ took upon himself. Or if we want to go a little further into, into John, we could see John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, oh, the glorious hope of this passage, it's the woman by the well. This woman who had five husbands and now has a sixth dude She's just, just a floozy. She's getting around. She's just like Israel, just getting around. Got a new guy here, new guy there, new God here, new God there. But Jesus, the seventh man, comes to be her perfect, eternal husband and redeem her with the hope of the gospel. He brings her the good news. He tells her about the pure worship that will be offered and accepted. Of course, seven, for, for my Bible nerds out here, seven is completion. Now this woman from Samaria will be complete in Christ. This harlot, this floozy, is now being redeemed by Christ. You say, well, okay, that's, that's kind of cool. All right, go to the end of your Bible, not to the book of maps, but to Revelation. You want to talk about cool. You guys got to check this out later. Read the, read the whole chapters. But for the sake of time, Revelation 21 and 22, pay attention that there's the marriage supper of the Lord. There's the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and all the redeemed from every tribe, tongue, and nation will gather around the Lord and worship him with pure, 
unadulterated worship, and the Lord receives it. It's amazing. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Listen, oh, this is so good. Underline this, get a tattoo if you're okay with that. If not, just don't judge the people who do. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God is coming back. He's going to dwell with his people, and his people are going to dwell with him. We'll never have spiritual amnesia again. We'll never turn to these false idols. And that fury that we so deserve, the Lord, he comes with blood-stained garments because he's already paid the price. He's already taken the fury. It's removed. That fury, that judgment that we deserve, it's gone as far as the east is from the west. We are forgiven. We are reconciled to God. We get to come into his presence forever, united to him, never to depart from him. Never again will we stumble over sin. Never will there be a cheap little trinket that we'll go after because our eyes will behold the majesty of the king and he will draw us nearer and nearer. And just like hell doesn't get eased up, Heaven doesn't get eased up either. For the saints, for those who are ushered into glory, it gets better and better. It gets more awesome. And we're like, whoa. But then we're like, give me some more. And the Lord says, here you go. Here's some more of my awesomeness. He's there for us. He does this. And just so we know, this is another exclamation point from John here. Verse 22, and he said to me, these are words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, he has sent an angel to show his servants what must soon be. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophets of this book. He's coming. He's coming back. And he's coming back soon. Church, are you ready? Are you longing for it? Are you just anticipating? Again, I, I remember waiting for Rebecca to come down the aisle. Oh, my goodness. The longest five minutes of my life took forever, but I was waiting, longing, and I was ready. I had my tuxedo on. I had the rings in the pocket. I had the vows. I had the hair done up. I had more back then. And it was cool. It was great. I was ready. She was ready. We came together, and we've been together since then, and we're going to be together until we go to glory, and it's awesome. The Lord is coming back. Do you have more of an anticipation for the Lord coming back than lunch today? Do you have more of an anticipation for the Lord coming back than for your spouse? Do you have more of an anticipation for the Lord coming back than a raise or whatever it is that quickly and easily stumbles you? Oh, beloved church, are you readying yourself? I heard a, a story one time from, I'm closing by the way, heard a story from Leonard Ravenhill, not personally, it was through a video. Um, Peter probably heard stories in person from Leonard Ravenhill. Um, I only heard them through videos, and it was great. This story goes, there was a man and a woman who wanted to be married, but it was during World War II. So they wanted to wait but the man receives news that medically he will not be drafted. This is great news. If I'm not going to be drafted, now I can get married. So he goes and they get engaged. They get engaged. Then they go and they, back in the day, they had to go places to do things versus just going to Amazon and signing up for stuff. They found the plates that they wanted for the wedding, they found the invitations. They did all that jazz, got the wedding dress and the, the suit. 
everything ready for that wonderful marriage ceremony. But then bad news came. England was being defeated. They needed more soldiers. The man who had a medical clearance to not be drafted and had now been drafted, he had to go to war. So they meet and discuss what they should do. He, he tries saying, hey, I know if you've got to move on, you can move on. And she says, no, I'll be ready when you get back. When you come home, we will be wed. He goes to war. They're writing. They're sharing back and forth what, what was happening. And then the letters stop. And she receives notice a few months later that the man is presumed to be dead. His battalion is lost. You should move on. And soldiers start coming home. And a great suitor comes up and tries pursuing her. And she says, no, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for my, my man. He told me he's coming back. He told me we would be wed. I will wait for him to come back. More time goes on. And she would go and she would, she would read his letters. And she would refresh herself on these love letters these dreams about the life they were going to have, the future that was to come. And one day, there's a knock on the door, and there's an unrecognizable, scraggly, wimpy, beaten man at the door. And the mother opens the door, doesn't recognize him. It's, it's the woman's man. He's back. He's there for his bride. He's come like he said he would come. But he doesn't, he's not as recognizable as he was before because he's, he's taken some licks. He's got some wounds. And she says, well, go, go, go see her. So she, he goes up to her room and he knocks on the door. And she says she's busy. Knocks on the door again. She says, I'm busy. Please open the door. She faintly recognizes the voice. And she jumps up out of the chair and she opens the door. And she sees her man. And she jumps into his arms. But what's amazing about what takes place there is her jumping into his arms is the fact that she was so sad that day. She was so longing for her man to come back that day that she put on her wedding gown. She did her hair. She did her makeup. She was reading his letters. And he says, I, you told me you'd be ready when I got back, but wow. Might Christ find us like that? Might the Lord, who has removed his fury and said he's coming back for us, find us with our wedding garments on? ready to receive our bridegroom. Oh, church, are you longing for him like that? Do you desire him to come back saying, oh, Lord, come quickly? And if, the, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, if this sounds all like a fairy tale to you, let me tell you, it's better than a fairy tale. It's true. And even how I've described it, it's better than that. And it will get better and better and better. And you will never Cease to be amazed by the Lord. He will satisfy you beyond anything that you've ever imagined or been satisfied on before. Let us pray.